what's it called? Um, US, or knife ma- USA Knife Maker. One of those places. And uh, so I can just like remake all the parts. And that hey. way I kind of have an idea of like how everything goes together. So that's my wintertime project is to learn how to make a liner lock by just kind of remaking all that stuff. Nice. See, I'm not a huge think... fan of liner locks, though. Is this a podcast? Yeah, I started. It's a I podcast uh, all of a sudden. I feel like, like Brian House is always saying, if you want to make a million dollars, you got to solve a problem. And I feel like a problem that could be solved, and maybe I'm an idiot for saying this on the show, but is that there isn't a concise, singular piece of reference material on making knives. Do you know what I mean? There's not a step-by-step book that goes through for the beginning knife maker and shows them this is how you do it. These are the little nuances and grinding. You know what I mean? And it, like even to the point where it could break down folders and things like that. That Like guys have written books, but I haven't found a single book that covers everything. Like uh, Lawrence Thomas's book, Knife Engineering, everybody's got that one. That that's a perfect example because that book goes through every steel that we're probably ever going to use and how to heat treat it. You know what I mean? So if they added that book in with the book on the processes, does that make yeah, sense or am I just am I just stoned? I mean, I think it's just, well, it's, I don't it's doubt simple. that you're stoned, but uh, I I think you're. I mean, I don't know. Do people read anymore? A YouTube. I read. I collect reference material. I got books and books and books on cars, dirt bikes, chainsaws, everything you can imagine. I guess, though, like, it's too easy to go to, like, New Jersey Steel Baron and uh, just find the heat treat information there. You know what I mean? Like, it's just that readily available. Like, I guess I don't need a book. I mean, I guess if I had a book, I wouldn't have to open up the PDF every time, but it's not like it's hard to get your hands on that kind of thing, I guess. But that that book would just that part would just be one singular part of the book. And the book itself would be almost like a Bible of knife making where it would have if you wanted to know how to grind a diamond grind, because we talk about diamond grinds a lot, there'll be a section in there on the processes of doing a diamond grind or a scandy grind or a flat grind or a hollow grind or a a compound grinder, a tracker, you know what I mean? A friction folder, a, f- a spring assisted folder, everything. Everything would be covered in one place. Well, Ryan, since you're not busy at all, I think you've just found out that you, this is what you're going to have to be doing. Yeah, Ryan's got yeah. nothing else to do. <laughs> so, are, do we want to like I realize play we're recording. Intro. Let's play an intro. Let's 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 let's, let's send it. Let's get the ball rolling. I hit record because on every show we're having like good content before we start. And I'm like, oh, fuck, fuck, fuck. So like, yeah, anyway. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hustle and Grind podcast. We are three minutes and 45 seconds in. And we are just now getting to talk to all of you lovely people. Uh, you just caught a little glimpse of what goes on before the show. Like Ryan was saying, we we like to just 
spitball and come up with random ideas all the time. And and let's face it, that's pretty much what this show is anyways. But this is a podcast for knife makers, for knife enthusiasts, for makers of all kinds to come and commiserate about all the, the lovely, horrible, and interesting things that happen in this craft and others. Uh, I'm Noah Bloomberg of Indiana River Forge. With me, as always, is Ryan Coakley from Ryan Chadbourne Knife Works. Our guest Hello. today is Jeremy from 419 Forging. Everybody say welcome, Jeremy. What's up, everybody? Ball of ball in the house. So on this show, we like to talk lots of random things. We've... We know Jeremy, at least I do. Um, Ryan knows Jeremy a little bit. So a lot of you listeners probably do as well. I think to start to this this week's episode off, we should we should do a classic podcast trope. And uh, Jeremy, how's your week, man? What's what's been going on in your shop? What's been going on in your life? Are you ready for Christmas? Uh no. Well, so this my my week in the shop has been a little slow because I've been in class. Uh, but I finally journeyed out in my apprenticeship for Carpenters Union. So, Woo! yeah, that's pretty exciting. I'm glad that's to be done. That's a big step, right? Yeah. I'm, it's a four-year deal, and you're supposed to have class every six months. And uh, between COVID and just, you know, stuff gets canceled and classes get canceled and stuff. So you got to, you gotta, you know, like reschedule and everything. So I took three classes this month. So I had three weeks of class this month, but I'm done now. Nice. Well, congratulations, man. That's awesome. So in the time that you were in your shop, what were you working on? Um, well, so I decided that since this week was going to be a short week, I'd try to do something that I wanted to do. Cause I don't, I don't really have time to make like what I want. So I did this Damascus, uh, well, it's a random pattern, low layer, and then I did a segmented handle with Koa, uh, Bog Oak, and some white liners. Turned out pretty darn nice. Yeah, that's a nice little hunter. About what, what a four-inch blade on it? Yeah. Yeah, a little bigger than what I usually make. Usually I'm around three, I'd say, on most of my knives. But I wanted to make like a hunter, something a little bigger, a little thicker. Uh, it ended up being a little thinner than I'd like. But it actually it turned out good. It, I'm happy with it. Nice. And is that your first time doing segmented scales? Uh, it's the second set that I've ever made. Uh, the first one's broke. I don't know. I just picked them up out of the drawer one day and it fell apart. So this time I decided to put a like a liner, like a backer on it. Mm. And so far that seemed to have helped out. Like, I don't know, just holds it together better. You got more surface area with the with the glue and everything. For sure. And are you using your standard epoxy that you would normally use to hold those all together? Yeah, just using the CEC Corp epoxy mm-hmm. from Maritime. I used a lot of that yesterday, man. That's good stuff. Yeah, I've heard of people putting together like spacer packs and some of the other stuff just together with like CA glue and stuff. Um, I'm not a big fan of the thought of that just because like everything that I put on a knife, I want it to last, you know? So I'm going to use that, you know, the same high quality epoxy, um, for everything. You know, if I'm, if I'm gluing liners onto scales, I might use five minute epoxy versus, you know, like a 30 minute or a 24 hour epoxy, but it's still, I mean, it's either G flex or it's CEC. So it's always, you know, solid epoxy that I know and trust. It's not CA glue, you know, for holding 
handle components together. You know, I recently, found CA glue has a higher tolerance to temperature than epoxy. So, oh, really? Yeah, like, I don't know if that's a fact or not, but it seems that way when I'm grinding it. Like, I don't know if you saw the reel I posted of like a month or two ago of a piece of micarta glued to a piece of brass that I was making a guard out of. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. That that was C-Corp super thick CA glue. Really? Wow, that's and, impressive. And, it, and you know how when you're doing off density materials, like the metal will heat up faster than the micarta or whatever. Um, so they'll separate. I didn't have any separation with the CA glue. Well, that's especially true when you're using like brass or copper or something like that. I have, I don't have a whole lot of experience, but I've heard that a lot from people. Oh, it's a pain in the ass. It's why I don't do metal pins anymore. Uh, see, that's the reason I don't use G10 pins anymore. It's because I burn them every single time. I love my Carta pins. I love them. Quarter inch. They're, they're strong. The glue soaks into them and adheres to them really well. And they look good. They do look good. Yeah, I I, mm-hmm. I usually use eighth inch, so you can't even if it is micarta, you can't really see the the grain of it too much. But I love those the the quarter inch, sorry, the eighth inch G ten pin stock. And uh, what what thickness are you using, Jeremy, to where you're seeing it burn? Uh, usually I'm running an eighth, and I don't really? know what and it they is. Burn? Oh yeah, um, I tried to do a uh, uh, like a. Uh, four pin configuration and every single one of them burned. Um, what I will, the kitchen knife that I raffled off that Travis Haynes one, those mm-hmm. G10 pins burned as well. So I just said, screw it. I'm, I'm not using them anymore. I've had them burn the, um, the, uh, fiberglass based G10 ones. They'll turn like black on the end and you have to hand sand the black off. Oh, you know what? Never mind. I have had that happen on occasion. You're right. Okay. I have had that happen, but in my mind, I'd, I'd rather just go a little slower, use a little sharper belt than deal with stainless pins. Cause I, I've never used brass or copper. I just don't like the look of it. So I've always either used stainless or G10 or micarta. So I get proud pins when I use stainless pins. Yeah. Gotta be careful for sure. Um, yeah. that, that happens a lot. And I have, I, I just finished up, well, not finished up, but I was working on a knife yesterday that I had to use stainless because I was making it to go in a set. Um, and the customer has three of my other knives that I'm making to go into this set and they all have stainless pins. So I was like, oh, I got to use stainless, oh man. But as long as, as long as you come off the grinder at, you know, a high enough grit, you don't have to worry about it too much. If you're doing a ton of hand sanding after the fact, you're going to end up with those proud pins just because the hand sanding, you know, whether you're using a soft backing on a sanding stick or you're using your thumb, it's going to go in around that pin and it's going to take off a lot of that extra material. Yeah. I, I usually end up having to fix them with like a mic, a tiny diamond file. Like I'll go in and just right off the top of the pin. That's great. Until, until That's I great can't method. feel it anymore. Yeah. It, time consuming it pisses me off where do you yeah, get see, diamond I don't have files that kind of, what's that where do you get diamond files anyway i got mine from maritime knife supply that's a great spot to get them from because mm-hmm. right now i'm just using like the uh hobo freight uh you know they're they're little like for filing guards and stuff they're a little pack of small ones they kind of suck how many I of like them have you broken no uh, one 
Yeah, see, I've tried to use those files in the past, and I have broken almost every single one of them. I break them, I bend them, but it's okay. They're, those, like, not diamond files, the traditional bastard cut files or whatever they're called, they're almost, like, disposable, you know? So, like, I'll grind off two sides of it so it won't... So you only have abrasive on, on a corner, you know what I mean? If I want to do a mm-hmm. corner on a guard um, and stuff like that. The diamond files, they seem to last... A lot longer they work okay on like my card or g10 because i do oh, g10 yeah. guards oh yeah i have to get me some of those yeah well cool They're all not- right so we we heard about jeremy's week ryan what has your week been like sorry to cut you off there man crazy still crazy yeah still working it's on I, that batch of 50 yeah i got hat well total it's 64 jeez because I have 14 customs in with it. And the customs are what's taken all the time. It's, you know, I mean, having one-offs, every knife be a one-off is a lot more time consuming than banging out 50 that are exactly the same. Of course. Do you have a and, heat treat oven? Yeah. How many, uh, how many knives can you temper in there at one time? Six. See it? Yeah. Right there. It could take a while. My homemade one. Yeah, no, if uh, these orders are supposed to be a reoccurring thing, and if it becomes a reoccurring thing, I'm going to either buy a big oven or build a bigger oven so I can heat treat more than six at a time. Or just have multiple, because if you had multiple, then you could be you know, going through that whole heat treat process. You could have one oven that was just tempering all day long. You could have one that you had ramped up for, uh, quenching or for, um, thermal cycling and all that. Mm -hmm. I had another five grand out the window. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I had to do like a merry-go-round type deal because I only have one quench tank. I didn't find a big, like I was going to upscale into a bigger one, but I didn't find one yet. So I was like, Oh, I'll just, so what I was doing was, I would quench a batch, stick my quench tank outside while the second batch heated up, quench that batch. And then at that point in time, it would need longer to sit outside. So I'd sit it outside, take like a half hour, hour break, start the next two cycles. And then it took me a full day to heat treat all 50. Oh, that easily, easily whole day. Yeah. Uh, how many gallons are in your, uh, in your quench tank? Two. Two, yeah, okay, that's gonna heat up pretty fast. Are they yeah, ammo it's cans? A, it's it's a mortar can, like from a World War II mortar shell. So it's about four a inches in diameter. Yeah, it's like three feet deep and uh, four inches in diameter. I can fit exactly two gallons in it. Yeah. I'm doing a fifty-fifty mix of parks and AAA. Now I don't I don't know how big your knives are, but uh, I mean, I from corner to corner in my ammo can, I can do a eight-inch chef's knife. You know what I mean? Like yeah. ammo cans are cheap and small. Like you could have th- four, it's three, the four, volume. five of those. It's, it's the volume doing six back to back to back to back. You know, like right after it comes out, I stick it in my plates to hold it flat and dunk the next one. Well, I think what he was saying is you could cycle them inside and outside. So if you had multiple, you could have, you know, one or two outside cooling, one inside that you're using. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do it that way. Yeah. I'm... My neighbor's given me a big old piece of eight inch steel pipe and I'm going to make a couple more. Nice. There you go. Yeah. 
So now have you ever dropped a knife down the tube and had to fish it out? Yeah, I've got a magnet. Of course. Oh yeah. I dropped one at the bottom of the ammo can, no big deal. You know, you just you can see it. I lost a knife one time. I was doing a big batch of shotgunners and I had gotten them all I had gotten them all tempered and I had got them all finished ground and they, I was making sheaths and I was like, wait a second, my count is off. Like what, what the heck? I only, had, I, I can't remember how many I was doing. It was like, it was crazy. It was like 15 or something. It was crazy for me. Um, I was like, wait a second, I'm missing one. I'm looking all around the shop. I can't find this thing anywhere. And I'm like, Oh, didn't I drop one? So I had to go fishing around in the coin snake and I found it and I was like, all right, well, luckily uh, it's not cracked or anything. I'll just temper this one by itself, I guess. Whoops. Or at least Oopsie. you didn't lose it in the, uh, the acid. Uh, yeah, I have, I have forgotten a knife in the acid one time and that was less than ideal. I've done that. Knock on wood. I haven't failed yeah. to do that yet. So. That's... When I came out the next day and found it, it looked like it had been at the bottom of the ocean for a thousand years. I was like, holy shit. But yeah, yesterday I spent all day gluing. That's my least favorite part. The epoxy. I don't like having sticky shit on my hands. And even though I wear gloves, you always get it all over you. And I got about 28 of them glued up yesterday. So once we get done here and this is all going through post-production, I'm going to start gluing up the rest of them. Now, are those just your little mini cleavers or that some of your customs as well? That's the, that's the bulk order. The customs okay. are, they're ready to have the holes drilled and then glued up. So all the blades are done except for one. You know, like you ever had one of them nights where like every time you touch something to the grinder, you fuck it up and you spend more time fixing fuck ups than you do like making the knife. That's, no, that that's never me. happened to me. That was me the other night. Every knife I put on the grinder, I'd I'd fucking make a weird facet in it that was hard to get out, or I'd have to go back grits to get it out. And I'm like, you serious? And then the next day, I went back and I checked them all, and all of them looked good except for one. There was one where I was like, uh, fuck it. It was like three o'clock in the morning. So I've been going from like about noon to three, four in the morning every day. I'd say for, for like my first like six to eight months, like if I would go to grind a knife and I just I wasn't feeling it like I just I wasn't doing very well. I would just put it to the side and be like, screw it. I'm not I'm not going to grind bevels today. I like had to mentally be in it and like really focused to do it. Otherwise, they they weren't going to turn out. So yeah, you really do. You got to be 100 percent in the flow state. Um my, usually that's what I do too, is I'll set it down and walk away and be like, I got something else I can do and I'll come back to that tomorrow or whatever. But with a deadline like this, I'm like, I can't, I have to do these tonight. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? You know, like maybe that's my own internal goals that I'm setting up, but I, I feel like if you set those goals, you got to stick to them. And I, I was not giving up and it was making me mad. There was one point where I was... I had my headphones on my respirator on and I fucking was squeezing the knife in my hand. I'm like, I want to chuck this across the shop so fucking bad, but I didn't. I just kept yeah. going. Took a breather. Yeah. I, I actually, uh, I reposted an, an old reel of mine just the other day talking about that same thing, Jeremy, where y you know, like you're at a certain point, And in that case, it was about finished work, which is a real struggle for me. It's like, 
I have to be in the exact right mindset to want to do finish work. And if I'm not, it's, it's like my brain won't let me. And if I try and force it, I've tried to force it a couple times. And it's just like you said, you screw something up and you spend so much more time trying to fix the screw up and it's, it's just not worth it. And that's kind of why I end up typically with many different projects and many different stages across my shop is because I get Mm -hmm. to that mental block point and then I just move on to something else. And it's, you know, according to the internet, it's a, it's a very common uh, trait of, shall we say, neurodivergent people. Uh, but it's funny <laughs> how how often those things come up in just the maker community in general. And it makes me like, you know, I'll, I'll post something that's like, oh, hey, I'm like this, haha, or whatever. And everyone else will be like, yes, that's exactly how I am. And it's like, are we really all just the same person, like just doing things at different stages? Like, so I, I it's, it's led me to believe that like the I don't know if it's the artistic or the creative or, or whatever aspect of it is that that makes us do this craft. There's a certain amount of that kind of neurodivergent mindset that draws us to to do something like this, because we all have we all share a lot of the same traits in the way that we go about things. And it's just it's really interesting. I don't know. It, it, it makes me think about all the different people that kind of do this and how we all have similarities and stuff. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it is. It's super neat. And it's like, uh, like a lot of us were creatures of habit and routine. We have a hard time not doing something. You know what I mean? I can't just sit on my ass. I, I go nuts. I get, I get what I call the guilt and I'm, I, I have to, I have to do something productive or else my brain will just fucking short circuit and I'll steep into an anxiety driven depression. I have to always be doing something. Yeah. I'll be sitting on the couch and I'll just like, I'll be fidgeting, but I won't really realize it. And my wife will look at me and we go, you good? And I'm like, no, I don't know why, but I'm not good. And she's like, well, it's okay to relax. You can relax. You've been, you know, doing X, Y, Z. Like you need to relax. It's like, I can't, sorry. can't relax. My wife says the exact same thing we sit down and we'll watch one episode of a show and I'm like, okay, back to work. (laughs) Like we've been watching Yellowstone lately and I'll give her one episode. I'm like, I'll sit there for the 48 minutes or whatever it is and we'll watch it and I'll be into it and we'll spend time together. But I can't sit there and watch a second, third, fourth, fifth episode. I can't do it. See, for me, it's like complete opposite. Sometimes I'll come inside. She'll have a show on and like, ah, Okay, and I'll sit down and have have a sandwich or whatever, and then all of a sudden I'm hooked, and it's pretty soon. It you know I just came inside at four o'clock for a sandwich. Now it's eight o'clock. We just sat there and watched TV for four hours, and I was like, I really just pissed this day away. <laughs> Maybe it's just me and you know. No, then I'll go see, back I, out I, and I'll go back out and work on knives for another four hours, and then then it's midnight, and I'm like, all right. Probably should go to bed at this point because I got to get up for work tomorrow. <laughs> See, I can do both. It's it just depends on like how it, it depends on where my brain decides to find the dopamine at that particular point in time. If if I get down into a show that I want to watch and this has to be in the evening, I can't watch during the day. Usually I, I that doesn't work. Um, but if I watch a show like the most recent one I got hooked into um 
uh, it was on Amazon. It's like a space drama thing. Anyways, I can't remember what it, what it was called. Lost in Space? But I watched. No. Uh, it was the one about the proto molecule. And uh, there was like, you know, the people on the asteroid belt. Anyways, never mind. The point is, is that I got hooked into this show. The 100. I got hooked in. No, no, that's not it either. Uh, I got hooked into the show and like every night I would be up until like two o'clock in the morning because I had to watch the next episode because I was just hooked into it and I couldn't stop. It's, it's, and it's, it's, I haven't watched a show in probably, well, since that one ended. So I don't know. It's been a while because if I get hooked into it, then I just watch it. I have no self-control. I have to watch all of it. And so I don't watch TV shows. It's better for me that way. We're watching Ozark right now and it's 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 got me. So I'm kind of scared. But no, what what are you doing in your shop this week? We're a little off topic there. Oh my god. Yeah, we do that. Uh, so I, I actually, I've been really slow lately. Um, I've been working off and on, on one order, um, which is a fillet knife. It's a Damascus, uh, sand mai. You just showed and me that. Yeah. I'm really happy with the way that one turned out. Um, it, the, the original forging of the Damascus definitely didn't go the way that I wanted it to. But then when I got the final pattern together, it actually it actually turned out better than I had anticipated, so I went with it, and so that one's really cool. Um, I had some issues with D lambs that I had to grind out and forge and then reforge, and it was it was a pain. But um, that one I'm pretty happy with how it turned out. I actually just got that one the handle shaped and everything, so that one's just about ready to ship out. And then I just recently got another order for. Uh, I won't name the customer, um, but it was another knife maker that ordered a knife from me. And that's never happened to me before. And it just it struck. What's that? Todd Harrington. No, it wasn't. I'm it not was, going to say it no. wasn't. It wasn't T family. No, it wasn't. And, I, and I'm not going to name him. I'll, I'm sure, you know, he'll post about it when I send it to him and everything. But but uh, it was such an honor to get a knife order from another knife maker. And. I, I, I've to have, you know, cause we, we all make knives, you know, like it's, it, it is, you know, it, we can make it ourselves. So the fact that somebody, you know, likes my work enough to, you know, you know, make an order from me was freaking cool. And, and like I said, I've really only got one order right now. So I've been you know a little discouraged. I haven't really sold a whole lot of knives. And so that was, it was pretty big in my, you know, just to give me that, that boost to kind of keep going. It was really awesome. So I'm going to be making a Damascus shotgunner and I'm going to be making it however I want. And so I'm going to be doing a Damascus pattern that I've never tried before, but I've kind of had in my head for a little while. And so I'm really excited to do that. Um, aside from that, I've actually had a couple of restorations um, I don't like doing restorations. I won't, do um, unless it's my own personal blade. Well, there, there are very few people in this world that can get me to do a restoration. And one of my customers who is probably one of my 
one of my top customers, one of my favorite customers, uh, came to me with some restorations that he had. And for him, I'll do it. You know, like it's, it's one of those things where if it was like somebody random messaged me, I'd be like, no, I don't do that. It's all good. But somebody that's got multiples of my blades and supports me as a maker and everything like that. And is one of my great customers that I really enjoy, like as a person and, and everything as well, I'll, I'll do it for them. So I'm doing a couple of restorations that I've almost got finished up. Um, and those actually went better than I expected. So that was, that was actually had a little bit of fun with that. So that was, that was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I think that's pretty much all I got in my, uh, that I wanna... I've actually, I've actually had a few people reach out to me for, I don't know, not, I don't want to say advice, but like, uh, just help with techniques and different stuff like that, which has been really cool. You know, it's not something I've done a whole lot in the past because let's face it, I've only been doing this for like two years, two and a half years. So I, I, I definitely would never consider myself to be an expert or never consider myself to be overly skilled. You know, I, I just do what I can, you know, and I, I'm kind of fine in my own way. So having people reach out to me and ask for advice on stuff and, Hey, how do you do this? You know, I'm more than happy to, to tell people how I do things and, you know, share some of my secrets that I don't post all the time. Like my hand sanding secret. That was a big help to somebody the other day. That was awesome. So yeah. It's been good. No, not uh, you, Jeremy, because because you make your knives wrong, so it doesn't work for you. I mean, I, I still have to try it to be honest. But I want I want to touch on the other other makers' knives um, because I never thought of myself as like a knife collector, but now like seeing other guys's other makers work, like all of a sudden, like I'm like I want other makers' knives. Like I have a list of makers that I'm like at some point I I'm getting a knife from them. And I, why? I don't know. But it's just something that like, like Noah, your style or like uh, Ryan's style. I'm like, I, I want that because like I don't I don't do diamond grinds. I don't do a lot of chef's knives. You know what I mean? So I'm, I don't know. I just I see Ryan's and I'm like, I want that or like, I, just, Thanks, I don't know. Buddy. It's it's the ultimate form of flattery when somebody who's capable of doing what you're doing wants something you've made. You it makes you feel mean? good. Yeah, yeah. There's like, been a couple like of people said. who've told me that I'm on their list and I'm like, holy fuck, really me? Why me? <laughs> what, what did I do? <laughs> yeah, well, it's I'm a like, super humbling feeling. It's, it, it makes mm. you feel good for sure. And I'm with no on that. Like I had made this, uh, this little like EDC little, like, I don't know, three inch blade or so. And I was just sharing it with, uh, other, I don't know, just on Instagram, sharing it with other makers and Brian Cohen and I talk a lot, uh, and I had sent it to him because, you know, his carbon fiber. So I was, you know, wanted to show it off. And he's like, dude, I want that. And I was like, what? Like, really? So he, he talked about it on their podcast uh, a little bit. But I was like, really? And I'm like, well, hold on. <laughs> so I text my brother because it was a knife that my brother had asked me to make him. And I'm like, dude, someone wants your knife. I said, can, can I sell it? <laughs> he's like, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> So I sent that one out to Brian made the like I suck at forging the same knife twice. And somehow I managed to actually do it to a pretty identical piece. And then I forged out my brothers and, and they ended up looking really similar. And I was like, oh, I can do it, which I, I just I suck at it. So for me to like forge the same thing twice and not back to back, it's like, that's pretty neat. 
let me uh let me switch gears here. Let's um play some ads. So we'll do, we did maritime twice in a row first. So we'll do Phoenix abrasives this time. And if you need belts, go check them out. He just got done doing a huge Black Friday sale. I think it was like fifteen percent off or something like that. The whole website. Yes, sir. I could, I could be wrong, but I think that's what it was. It, or yeah. Anyways. Hustle and Grind is sponsored by PhoenixAbrasives.com, your one-stop abrasive shop. They stock all the abrasive belts you need in all sizes. They also offer knife-making kits, which have all the goods you need in one kit, as well as hand sanding and buffing materials. Go to PhoenixAbrasives.com and use the code HUSTLE10 for 10% off your order. Thanks, Luke. Thanks, Luke. And for any of you guys out there that were listening to our episode with uh, Noah Vashon, and we were talking about those, like the Trizac and the other like structured abrasives, definitely check out Phoenix Abrasives because there are not a whole lot of abrasive companies out there that sell those structured abrasives. I know a lot of people have them or they have versions of them, but you're not going to find the selection that they have at Phoenix for all the different grits and the different types of structured abrasives that there are. Um, so there's several, um, there's, uh, let's dive into that a little bit. Cause I use mostly structured abrasives. Um, so there's three types. If you're looking for like how large the grit structure is. So tries that gator grit is the big ones, the big rectangular little abrasive chunks on the belt. And that's the one I use probably the most then there's the norton norax which you can't get at phoenix abrasives but you can get them at maritime knife supply and those are kind of like a medium-sized structured abrasives and all these abrasives have the same grit and then trizac has a fine grit one that i'm not sure what the name of it is um, but it's their higher grit so it goes up to like 2500 um, and I call those ones space belts because they sound like a UFO when they're running on your grinder. They do. You're right. And for me, the benefit of structured abrasives is you can get into higher grits without changing the radius of your belt. So if you go from a 36 grit thick weight belt down to a 120 grit J flex or up into the higher grits before you hand sand, the thinner the belt, it, it, slightly changes your radius on your grind and it can be a pain in the ass. And to get around that, I've started using structured abrasives because they're thick all the way up into the high grits. So that's why my plunge lines progressively like get uglier because yeah, my like 60 and 120 are pretty, they're the, you know, just J, uh wife X weight or whatever, just like your mm -hmm. standard. And then I'll go to like a, uh, well, like my 400 is a Trizac belt, which now I'm not sure if I should be using that or not. But regardless, it's different. So my plunge lines get kind of messed up more or less because they're well, different. It, should, it, it shouldn't matter on a flat grind, though, as far as the thickness of the belt, I wouldn't think. No. Well, so, you're, you're not you're not it's not 100 percent flat. There's always going to be. Like, because when you're grinding, so if you have a thick belt, microscopically, it's making a shape. 
on the edge of the belt. Not microscopically, but, you know, minutely, it's it's creating a shape. So if you go from flat to flat with a thinner belt, you're not going to fill in that area that the thicker belt was filling in. Does that make sense? And then you'll you'll end up with like little facets and lines and shit like that. Um, for me, it seems like sticking thick all the way up through has it saves me a lot of time. But that's just me. Everybody grinds different. Every it's weird too because everybody has different belt progressions. I jump right from thirty six to one twenty, and some guys go thirty six, sixty, eighty, one twenty. You know what I mean? I don't even we, touch thirty six anymore. Because I you know, forge my I forge my bevels in. If I start at thirty six, it gets too thin before, you know. And then I get stuck with these thirty six grit scratch lines that are so deep, and I'm already so thin that I I can't get them out. So yeah. I'll I'll forge my bevels in, and then I'll I'll go right to sixty. Mm. Wow. Yeah. See, I'm stock removal, so I use thirty six the most. That's the belt that I go through the most. Well, and I do, I do a lot of sand my, so a lot of times I'm forging to full thickness and then I'm grinding my bevel in because otherwise you're not going to see that pattern of the sand my. So I forge my bevels in sometimes, and then sometimes I'm just doing a, a basically a stock removal because otherwise you're not going to be able to see that pattern, uh, underneath that sand my. So I use the 36 grits a lot, whether it's grinding for stacking Damascus or whether it's grinding those bevels in after forging uh, that 36 grit is is vital to my operation yeah me too those are the ones i break the most too and i'm, I'm starting to think maybe i need to look into something different or maybe i'm doing something incorrectly or my grinder maybe the shock that holds up my tracking arm is too strong because i've broken well you can adjust what? the tension based on the how far out your your arm is can't you yeah, I could. Yeah. But. So, um, question, because I'm not super familiar with all the uh, Trizac, but the, the Trizac belts I do have, um, are they, can I use them to remove material or are those belts to refine scratches? Both. Both. I mean, you're always removing material. Yeah, I do. So my progression, like... So everybody says that my lines are super clean, um, which I'll, I could debate that. I don't I don't think they're as clean as people say they are or make it out to be. But I think as artists, we're always critical of ourselves. But what I do is so 36 grit to the rough bevel shape or hollow shape or whatever I'm doing. 120 grit, I get it refined on a Trizac 120. So I go straight from 36 grit ceramic to a Trizac course 120 and I get it refined to a point that I'm happy with it. The majority of the crisping of my plunge lines or, you know, out towards the tip is done at the high, high grits because you can do a pass and not remove very much material. So if you do a fucked up pass, you're not screwing the whole blade. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like Mo, like Noah Vashon said on his episode, he said every pass doesn't matter until the last one. When so doing you have multiple finish. facets, <laughs> yeah. When when doing a belt finish, because it's worth pointing out that I don't hand sand my blades. I'm one hundred percent a grinder finish. 
I, I very rarely will do mirror. If somebody wants a mirror finish for me, it's going to double the cost of the knife. Time. Because yeah, I'm doing a, yeah, I'm doing a belt finish and you know, and then at the end I clean them up with scotch brights. I love me a scotch bright belt. I just learned a huge, like for me, it was like an eye opener, like a learning curve. I had been using the same scotch bright belts for forever. And you know, uh, like I said, they, they had that uh, abrasive sale. So I was like, all right, I don't really need anything, but there's a sale and it's knife making. So, you know, I spent, but spent some money, got some new belts. Well, I got some new scotch brights and I went and ran a knife through the scotch bright. And I was like, holy smokes. I was like, I, these don't last as long as I thought they did. Like they still last, but I was like, this is a way completely different finish than what I was getting before. And mm-hmm. I was, I, that, that's when it hit me. And they're like, these, these do have a timeline or like a lifespan. Uh, Jason and pickle taught me that when your scotch brights get worn out, if you coat them in WD 40, it makes like a nice satin finish. It's like, well, like mo- I have one scotch bright belt that I have soaked. And then I'll, if I want to do like a nice soft finish, I'll use the oil soaked one, but the rest of them I run dry. What color? I have all four. I go right up from well, your to your oil soaked one, which is the, that the gray, the very fine. Okay, that's funny. That's exactly what I have because I, I there are some knives if I'm doing like a just like a, a satin finish on like a mono steel chef. Yeah, I want that on there. But if it's anything else, it's probably going to get dipped in acid at some point. Like, I don't want WD-40 anywhere near that blade because otherwise you're going to be scrubbing that thing to make sure that it's perfectly clean before it goes in the acid or something like that. So Actually, I just have that that one belt that I have WD-40 on and everything else is clean. And, and you could make an argument that WD-40 on a blade and then etching it makes an interesting finish. Yeah, unless I'm going for a very specific Damascus pattern that I want to look a certain way. Well, not Damascus. If you're doing like a stone wash finish. Oh, yeah, sure. Those I like those I I like to be as random as possible just because I like them to look kind of jacked up because the whole point of a stone wash finish is to make it look like it's going to look after somebody uses it for a couple years. And that's why I like the stone wash finish so much is because people that think that they want carbon steel, but don't actually know what carbon steel is. It's good for them. So I'm doing a stonewash cleaver right now. And sick. Um, yeah, it is sick. It's for my buddy. And I wrote his name on the blade before I heat treated it. <laughs> and then when I etched it in the acid, his name popped out of the steel. So it says Bradford on the side of the knife. Oh, Did you leave dude. It? No, I, I got to grind it out. Oh, no. <laughs> my that handwriting. Like so cool. But now that I know that you can do that, my handwriting isn't that great. It was like I was scribbling it on there. So it's like brat, brat, and Sharpie. But now that I know that for some reason it will change the whatever in the metal when you heat treat it. It was worth mentioning it's stainless. So it's heat treated in a pouch. Oh, really? It's cool that it sticks like that. Like Matt Berger will draw smiley faces and stuff on him just because it looks interesting when you pull it out of that plate quench. Yeah. Just to mess around. Well, speaking of Matt Berger, he sent me a Florida man story this week. 
So do we want to do some Florida man? Yeah, let me uh, pull up my calendar real quick because I think he's coming on the show soon. He's next week. Is he next week? I don't know if yes, you guys know this. Matt Berger and I are pretty, they, we live pretty close to each other. So, oh, really? Yeah, so he's, when I first got into knife making, um, I had a buddy show me his his uh, account on Instagram and he's like, hey, you should check this guy out. So yeah, I, you know, I started messaging Matt and everything and I said, hey, like, he he asked he basically asked if I ever wanted to I could come out to a shop and kind of you know just see what he's got and just I don't know just I was super green and I was like how about tomorrow <laughs> he's like <laughs> uh let me uh let me check with the white and see what we got going on and I ended up going out there the next day and I I bet I spent three four hours over there just nice. asking questions looking at stuff super cool guy. I go over there. He lets me use his power tools because he's got the press. He's got the tire hammer. Uh, so it's just it's nice to have someone that close and that like that knowledgeable that they're and they're willing to share. It's it's awesome. Yeah, he's next week. So we'll get to meet him. I haven't met him yet. I talked to him booking the show, but that was it. And next the week after that is Nate Walpole of Walrus Steel. Walrus Steel. And then That's Ira Housework is the one we're doing on Christmas Day. Nice. Or around or around Christmas. It depends on everybody's schedule. But yeah, let's roll into Florida Man. We did not do the Patreon spotlight last week. Let's make and sure we do that. Yeah, we gotta make sure we do that. And I think we made a mistake because we're trying to like cram fucking ads and so many different <laughs> like you know what I mean? And we yeah. like if if we did everything we had planned, all our shows would be up to like an hour and forty five now. So I think we're gonna like hit or miss on the WFI projects. If we do it every week or not every week, uh, just kind of like what we feel like type deal, I think. Um, well, but, we had a lot of people on the show last week, so yeah, it was okay. yeah. Four man's hard to, that's hard to manage. It, it's hard to not have two separate conversations going at the same time. For sure. But let's roll into the old Florida man. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready to play. Is it Florida Man or Fraud? That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it is time to play our favorite game that we play every week, Florida Man or Fraud. Last week, we did a test run trying out some satire news stories to see if we could get our guests to guess whether it was a real or a fake story. I'm not really sure how that went because none of you gave me any feedback. But either way, this week, I didn't have time to write any ridiculous fake stories. So we are going back to the original version of Florida Man or Fraud or working title here. Where in the world is Florida Man? This first one is either in Florida or it is from somewhere else. Jeremy, Ryan, and all you lovely people at home, tell me where in the world is Florida Man? We begin with this submission from KH Daily Knives. Woman sues Kraft Mac and Cheese over preparation time. A woman has sued the makers of Velveeta Shells and Cheese, claiming that the dish takes too long to make. The Kraft company markets its microwavable cups as, quote, ready in 3.5 minutes. But Amanda Ramirez says that it takes longer. The $5 million lawsuit claims the time advertised does not include preparation time. 
opening the lid and sauce pouch before adding water and stirring. Kraft Heinz Foods Company described the lawsuit as, quote, frivolous. We are aware of this frivolous lawsuit and will strongly defend against the allegations and complaint, a spokesperson told the BBC. In the lawsuit, which was filed in a court last month, Ms. Ramirez's lawyers claimed that she paid more than she would have had she known the truth. The lawsuit also asked the company to, quote, cease its deceptive advertising and, quote, be made to engage in a corrective advertising campaign. Do you think that this person who took longer than 3.5 minutes to prepare her mac and cheese was from Florida or somewhere else in the world? Dude, that lady's dumb. That's ridiculous. and, And here's the point. This is a real story. This isn't last week. This is this week, which means that right. this is a real headline. This really happened. That's about as bad <laughs> as the hot coffee from McDonald's. That lady won. I know. Mm-hmm. Still ridiculous. And that's what opened the gate for people like this potential Florida woman. Actually, I... This is the first opportunity we've had to have a Florida woman on the show, by the way. Just wanted to yeah. point that out there. So. We're all about equality here. We're, we're This is the equality show right here. Mm-hmm. It's before I dive into her or that phrasing. Um, It's crazy how often this happens. When I was a manager for Ruby Tuesdays, we would get letters from the legal department regularly about frivolous lawsuits people were filing against the store. And when you're a corporate restaurant like that, you I get that letter just so that they were telling me it happened and they, they handle all of it. Right. And some of them were ridiculous. Like here it's a fire code that you have to keep the walkways clear. And this lady had come in and her son was in a wheelchair and we put him in the walkway because there was nowhere else for him to sit at the table. And she sued us because we put him in danger. Wow. Yeah. Anyways, back to Florida lady. Uh, I'm going to say this is not Florida. This sounds like a southern, southern Texas, Alabama, Louisiana type deal. I'm agreeing, but I'm saying California. Oh, Ooh. Ooh, that's a good guess. Wow. Okay. F- fine, final answer. Yeah. Final answer. Both of you are going not Florida. Mm-hmm. You're you are both incorrect. That is absolutely oh. Florida. Wow. I'm sorry. I am sorry, but yes, that is the first incidence that we have had of Florida woman on the show. Uh yeah. She, three point she's, three point five minutes. What a she's raising down. the bar. <laughs> All right, here we go. This next one is from Brian Hinnekamp of Tortuga Bladeworks. A man is threatening to sue an artist whose invisible sculpture sold for $18,000, saying that he came up with the idea first. (laughs) Tom Miller, who said he made an invisible sculpture in 2016, is demanding visibility. Earlier this month, an Italian artist named, can't pronounce that, uh, went viral when his immaterial sculpture, that is, a work of art made of literally nothing, sold for $18,300 at auction. Articles about the sales shared widely, often accompanied by captions of, I could have done that variety, 
Users posted pictures of blank spaces, their own invisible sculptures, which could surely have been had for a fraction of that person's price. Many bemoaned the fact that they didn't think of it first. Wow. So do you think that the man who claimed to, he's literally suing because he came up with the idea of an invisible sculpture first. Does that Mm. sound like Florida or does that not sound like Florida? That sounds like California. San Francisco Bay Area, to be specific. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, we're getting personal here, guys. I've been there. It's okay. (laughs) Jeremy, what do you think? Oh, geez. Uh, I'm going to go no. I'm going to go somewhere strange like Idaho. Wow, so you're both saying not Florida once again. Yep. And you're both wrong again. Wow. Guys, this Damn. is Florida here. We're not doing this good. Is... All right. Okay. Florida, the here. land of frivolous lawsuits. <laughs> yeah, why are these all about lawsuits? Uh, okay, here we go. This one's a good one. Um, oh, shoot. Did I? I think I lied. I uh, This one is not from uh, Matt Berger. This is from Bremner Built Knives. I apologize. It started with a B, and my mind is very simple. <laughs> so, Bremner, Bremner Built Knives sent in... <clears throat> Real life go to jail card. Man arrested after family game of Monopoly turned violent when he got angry and allegedly shot at his stepsister and stepfather. There was no collecting. <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. There was no collecting $200 for one man who went directly to jail after firing a gun at his family members during a game of Monopoly Saturday. John Ronald DeWayne Armstrong was arrested after a round of the game erupted into an argument with the table and the game's board being flipped in the process before he allegedly chased his stepsister and stepfather down the street while pointing a gun at them. That's quite the moniker. Okay, he's got so quite the name going. He's He's got quite the name going, but here's the thing. That can happen anywhere. Like, Monopoly is a serious game that ends friendships, families. I mean, this is this is not the first time, I'm sure, that a game of Monopoly has turned physically violent. This one just happened to, you know, get in the news because there was a gun involved. Um, but, but yeah, if anybody's ever played Monopoly, you know how serious it can get. Monopoly was banned in my house. Ooh. Because my son's growing up. They One was older than the other, so he was naturally better at math. And, uh, and my, my fucking younger son would get so pissed off because, you know, me my wife and my two sons all playing. We're all like, you know, seasoned at math. He was like six or seven at the time. He'd be like, I don't understand why I have to give you all my money. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we stopped playing Monopoly in the house. Uh, That. um, I'm going Florida. Now that happened in the Midwest. Do you remember it? You're you're saying that as a fact. Do you have inside information? No, no, that's my guess. That's 100% a guess. Okay. All right, so Ryan, you're saying Florida. Jeremy, you got got Midwest on this one, huh? Yes, sir. All right. It is Oklahoma. Oh. Oh. Yeah, that was... uh, It was a very good guess on Jeremy's part. I I applaud Mm -hmm. that one. All right, so we got Jeremy one, Ryan nothing. Uh, we got, geez, I got a bunch of these. You wouldn't believe how many of these I've freaking gotten. So, you uh, should read mine. 
I can't read yours on the air, Jeremy, because you're on this show. That wouldn't make much sense, would it? No, the the ones you can't read. I, I'm not I'm not reading about people being chopped up and put into suitcases. That's not <laughs> family entertainment. All right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, so here we go. This is this is uh this is uh been sent in by one of my favorite contributors to the show, Todd Harrington. Two men, one dressed in a bowl onesie, attempt to burn down a house with ragu sauce, police say. Two men were caught with their hands in the pasta jar after they used ragu sauce to try and burn down a home they robbed last week, police said. Derek Irving, 36, and John Silva, 28, were arrested after allegedly breaking into a home in blank and stealing a flat screen television, blah, blah, blah. When police arrived at the home, they saw a red SUV trying to flee the residence, authorities said. The two suspects told officers they were picking up clothes from the house. Uh, the victim noted that Irving was donning a bull costume onesie. A deputy said there was an air conditioning unit, a vacuum, television heater, a marijuana grinder, and an empty jar of ragu sauce inside the vehicle. Deputies found the burning pot of ragu sauce and a washcloth near the stove's burner, which appeared to be an attempt to start a fire. Quote, he was trying to make it look like I left the stove on, but who gets up at 2 a.m. and fixes Skeddy? The victim told. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Uh, so do you gentlemen think that this pair of bull costume onesie wearing ragu sauce geniuses were, uh, from Florida or, uh, or somewhere else? Mm, Florida. Though you said he had a heater and you don't really need heaters in Florida. So no, I changed my answer. Not Florida. North Dakota. Final answer? Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Why not? That was Florida. Oh, shit. I have no idea why you would have a heater. I just, I wasn't even going to read. The only reason I read off the, the, the items that they had stolen, but there was an air conditioning unit as well. So, I mean, I don't know. The only reason I read off the items be- was because they brought the empty jar of ragu sauce with them. Like why if you if, if you're gonna like make it look like somebody made a pot of spaghetti and left it on and burned their house down, wouldn't you leave the jar there? Because wouldn't you need a jar to put the sauce in the pot? Like today's we're dealing with some just, real geniuses here. They're just getting dumber and dumber. That's ridiculous. I just, I just love the fact that they brought the jar with them. It's it's the best part of the story for me. They were hard up, obviously. Trying to hide the fingerprints. That must have been what it was. Yes, I don't know. All right, I got more, but I think I think we should call it there. Jeremy, you win. You got him. Yeah, I'm four and zero on this one, or zero and four on this one. But sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. So let's (laughs) talk about uh, Maritime Knife Supply real quick. So Maritime Knife Supply, Lawrence Lake, he sells Seat Corp everything, epoxy, CA glue. A lot of people don't know. I have fake teeth. So, like, I have no front teeth. I smashed my teeth out when I was a little kid. So I've had these fake teeth for 23 years or whatever. The other night I'm in my shop. It's super late. I grab a piece of stale pizza. I go to bite into the pizza, and this tooth popped right off the plate. 
I love where this story is going. He's going to CC. So, <laughs> so this tooth is now glued on with Seat Corp Ultra Thick Epoxy. And I used my diamond files that I got from Lawrence Lake because I had to, if my bottom teeth contact the plate, it'll pop the tooth back off. So I had to take a little bit out of the plate and I had to take a little bit off that tooth. The old diamond files came in handy. Who needs a dentist? This Don't is worry. glorious. It what was a new file. It oh. was a new file. How comfortable. But if you, yeah, if you need to fix even dental appliance or whatever it's called, a dental fixture, Lawrence has got you covered. Hustle and that Grind was- is sponsored by Maritime Knife Supply. Whether you're looking for steel, abrasives, handle material, forges, epoxy, or anything for making in general, Maritime Knife Supply has you covered. And in the U.S. or Canada, they ship faster than the great Cobra Chicken Goosesses that their country is known for. Go to Maritime Knife Supply, and when you buy a 10-pack of belts, get 10% off. And tell them we sent you, eh? Thanks, Luke. Thanks, Luke. So I, I'm still just sitting here in awe of, of how amazing that story was. And, and I love that so much. So yeah, if you need to fix your teeth, go to Lawrence. Um, (laughs) I just can't. That's freaking awesome, dude. I'm so, I'm so happy that you did that. Uh, I can't, I can't, I can't walk around without them. I can't talk with them in without them in. I've had them for so long. Oh yeah. Of course. That it, that like, if I talk without them in, I sound ridiculous. Like the, I can't speak without them. And I'm not going to walk around. With, yeah, I'm not going to walk around with one missing. I didn't swallow the tooth, so I cleaned it up. I dried it off. Little. I was going to say, did you take like the air compressor nozzle to like your gum and like try and dry it out before you like? No, no, no. Work? They they come out. So it's a plate. Oh, so it came off the plate. Yeah, it broke off Uh-oh. the front of the plate. Okay, so took- I'm sitting here imagining you with an air gun drying off like the 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 stud or fixture that you've got in there and like CA gluing like your mouth and like No, no, no. Mine's oh, okay. a poor mine's a poor man's prosthetic. I can't afford implants. They're like $5,000 oh. a tooth. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah okay. my my I've dentist quoted that. me like 9 grand to do both fronts. Okay. Um, it's it's a, still a great story though. I love it. It's a temporary fix and it's only for looks. I can't bite anything with it now. So mm. I have to take my teeth out now when I eat and it sucks because the roof of my mouth is very delicate because I've had a fucking super thick plastic plate protecting the top of my mouth for 20 something years. Gotcha. So I was eating beef stew the other night and my fucking roof of my mouth was bleeding afterwards. Could you That's imagine when I eat Captain Crunch? Damn it. You yeah. took it from me. Yeah. <laughs> It's already so, yeah, rough so, as is. Oh, so these I, things too. I, I've found a new addiction to these. Nerds, big chewy. It's like a fucking gummy bear covered in nerds almost. You're a child. <laughs> so I was I was munching those the other night in the shop and I had my teeth out. And then I went to put my teeth back in. I'm like, fuck that hurts. I went and looked in the mirror and I'm missing a molar back here. And like that whole section of my mouth was bleeding. I'm like, Jesus Christ. I've had, I've had this plate in for so long. I've got 
sissy gums. I'm gonna wow. have to get a new one. A new one's like fifteen hundred bucks. Jeez. Yeah, because they got to go in and take impressions and have it made to fit my mouth, and oh, yeah. it's a pain in the ass. Just get a 3D printer. Print my teeth off. Yeah, get yourself some teeth, man. Just get go. some clay, pack it in there, take it out, let it dry, 3D print around it. It's weird. All the teeth I'm missing are on the top set. I, I'm not missing any on the bottom set. And I grind my teeth really bad in my sleep. Like my wife and my first wife, both of them would wake me up in the middle of the night and be like, hey, you gotta, you're fucking going to bust a tooth. And I have. I've woken up before with pieces of teeth in my mouth. Nice. So, so it- Lawrence, Lawrence, if you're listening, what this means is that you need to start carrying 3D printers so that people can print their own teeth. And and then you can be a one stop dental shop as well as everything else. Between, and mouth guards. Between, between diamond files, 3D printers, and CA glue, we're gonna have these people covered. D- does Lawrence my- listen to all these podcasts? Yes, he does. Because I think he should carry these. Do you guys What's know that? what it is? It's a Pika pencil. So it's it's got this really thin tip to it, right? So if you need to transfer or scribe holes, it's a mechanical pencil. So you get, you know, your lead. It's got a sharpener on the bottom. Really handy. Goes got a little clip. Put it in your pocket. It's, it's just out of the way. And Pika makes markers. So for like when I if I need to trace something like maybe on a well, maybe not handle scales, but on steel, like pencil don't work on steel. Sharpie can, but it's really fat. Well, so they make this like pencil marker thing and it's thin. I'm like, dude, that would they're awesome. I love Pika. So it's P-I-K-A? P-I-C-A. P-I-C-A. They make uh-huh. they make like a colored pencil, like like colored like colored lead. They make a marker. They have just the regular pencil. They're awesome. So I definitely wouldn't. I wouldn't use a pencil, but I like the marker thing that you're talking about. I might have to look into that. I use uh, a the, pencil on Kydex. Oh, either, that's not a bad idea. Because if you way, use a marker, it's permanent. I like that it has not the clip on it. It's got the clip on it, you know, like pocket on your shirt, whatever. Like, because I don't wear an apron, so I don't have a bunch of pockets for stuff. But this is always on me. And it's got a little sheath thing for it. So, like, you know, and it doesn't fall out. It's great. (laughs) Just a thought. Jeremy, bringing the value to all you listeners. Go check out Pika pencils. Yeah, they're an Instagram. (laughs) Yeah. I I have a couple of different pencils in the shop. Um, my brother made them both for me. I've got a fine lead one, which is just your regular mechanical pencil lead. And then I've got a clutch pencil that's made out of cherry burl and it's a quarter inch thick piece of lead and you hold the back and you slide the lead out or you push it back in however long you want it and you make it whatever shape you want. Um, that's a pretty cool one. You guys are fancy with your pencils. It's something you use every day all the time. Like, I mean, I guess, yeah, I'm a carpenter too. So that's kind of a big deal. But like I bought it for work. I haven't been working for a month. So now I just wear it daily and I I, I use it all the time. It's just, I don't know. It's something I really like and it's, and it's always on me. So it's useful. Hmm. Yeah. Well, go check out Lawrence Lake at Maritime Knife Supply for dental needs, knife making needs, you know, 
anything you need to make. Yeah, I actually just got some my first batch of stainless steel from Lawrence the other day, which I am really Ooh. excited to uh, to get into. Would you so go on your poopy brown oven? In my poopy brown oven, yes. Um, I, I I I went simple. I, I did what everyone else does, and I just got some AEBL. It's great steel, man. I love it. Nitro. Yeah, I can't v. wait to work with it. Nitro, Nitro v. v is hard. Yeah, uh, AEBL and Nitro V are very similar. I think AEBL is a little bit more forgiving in the heat treat. Um, I did some CPM S30V a few months back, and that shit's like grinding stone. It's so hard. All that CPM stuff is crazy hard as well. Mm -hmm. But I made that boning knife out of Nitro V, and I didn't have any warping issues. Like a lot of people will say that AEBL will warp when you grind it, and you have to like grind the other side evenly to like get it back to warp straight. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I didn't have that problem with nitro V, but just my two cents on my one knife that I made with it. The only time I've ever seen nitro V warp while I'm grinding it is if I got it too hot. If you mm-hmm. don't, I quench every pass. If you get it too hot, it like you can bend it almost. I mean, probably not, not like to that point, you know what I mean? But it's, uh, it's very, I don't know what the word, but it's pliable. Yeah, I would say it right out of the plate. Yeah, right out of the plates. Yes. Um, It doesn't really get super hard until you do the cryo. But you you can if you overheat it, you can definitely make the blade curl for sure. Noah, do you cryo? Do you have a doer? I don't have a doer. I haven't even made a single stainless knife yet, man. I don't even know what I'm doing. I use my oh. freezer. Good luck. Yeah, I just use my deep freeze. Mm-hmm. I mean, I honestly, for a whole day. If you have a doer with liquid nitrogen, really, you're only getting like plus three to five percent on edge retention, or like it's not a huge deal. Matt Gentry doesn't cryo his stuff, as far as I know. He might throw them in the freezer, but he he don't he don't have a doer or anything like that. Yeah, I, I've seen a few different ways that people do it, whether it's a freezer or whether it's um, the dry ice mixture. So I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. Like like I said, you know, I'm just kind of dipping my feet. I know people have said that kind of ABL is the, like you were saying, Ryan, more forgiving than some others. So I'm just going to try it out, see how it works. I got I got the steel and some stainless foil from, from Lawrence. Try it out and, and see how it is. I might try forging some. Um, I did get some some DMs from people that were listening to one of the other podcasts about how I like forging. So that's why I didn't want to get into stainless and stuff. So I might try forging it or I might just I'll pro- my first ones. I'll probably just do stock removal. That way I can get a, get a feel for it um, and see if people are interested in buying stainless knives from me. You know, it's it's a different market, I feel like. And I'm pretty sure once Pickle switched over to stainless, I don't think he went back. I mean, he'll listen to this and correct me if I'm wrong, but once he started using AEBL, it seemed like other than his Damascus knives, all his mono steel knives, I think he was like in love with it. I love it. It grinds so good. Does it really? It grinds so nice. It's it's sweet. It's very forgiving steel, but and and you um, heat treat it full thickness? Yeah. Yeah. I don't do any grinding post heat treat. Or preheat treat. Um, 
profile, drill holes. That's it. Okay. That's what and I've heard he, for the most part. I'll probably just go that route because that's what other people do. So it's, it's, you get less warpage that way. Um, if like, let's say you put your bevels in before heat treat and you have a tiny bit more taken off one side, the knife's going to want to curl to that side. Yeah. I'm not too concerned about that. I'm concerned about the edge itself getting a wiggle in it or something like that. You know, like even if you, you know, your spine straight, well, you could have a little wiggle on that edge that then you're going to have to grind out. And then if you get it too thin, well, then you're taking away your, your blade depth to try and compensate and stuff. Anyways, we've talked enough about this. Let's, uh, do we want to shout out some patrons? Yes, we do. Hold on. I gotta get my list. That was a hard stretch. Thanks to all the patrons. Um, love you guys. We do. We love you guys. And the list has started growing again, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, it's awesome. It's awesome to see. Um, so we'll go with Donnie Dulovich, KnifeMaterial.at, Aru Bladeworks, Brigham Kindell, Mark LeBlanc, Mark Vanderwerf, Richard Beck, Todd Harrington, Dennis Tyrell, Trucks Claire Custom Cutlery, Zachary Sowell, Maritime Knife Supply, Noel Bloomberg, Crafty Man Forge, Brian Henningkamp, Echo Blades, Sourwood Creations, Bremner Built Knives, Snake Branch Knife Works, Stormlight Forge, Timber Tiger Forge, Ira Housewort, Maximus Knives, Jared Weaver at the Master of Metal Manipulation, and Brian Cohn. Thanks, everybody. Jared Weaver has the coolest name of all time. That is that pretty name, awesome. It's like the like it could be a band name, it could be the name of a song, it could be the name of a knife maker. Yeah, master of metal manipulation. Let's roll into that. He is our spa- Patreon spotlight this week. All right. Ooh, I just spit on my phone. So on Instagram, we are looking for the master of metal manipulation. Come on. I just typed in the word master to my search engine and lo and behold, there he was. All right. So all one word on Instagram, master of metal manipulation, no spaces, no underscores. We are looking at a big batch of knives. I don't know what he's working on, but he's got a surface grinder. He's got a big batch of what looked like little hunters. He's got some nice tools. He's got a nice bandsaw. Yeah, he does. I'm jealous of his bandsaw. He's he's got got a a true tilt. That's what I was just about to say, yep. Speaking of true tilts, I did all the bevels on that batch of 50 on my true tilt. Very nice. Mm Mm-hmm. Took me two and a half hours. That's nothing, man. Yeah, the the bevels aren't much. They're only like 10 millimeters deep, but it's like... To do That's 50 of them 50 identical. Of them, yeah. Yeah. I banged them out fast. That's awesome. I still haven't gotten my true tilt set up. I, uh, it's driving me nuts. I, I, I I'm going to have mine it. set up before you do. I've had mine forever. And I, I, like I said, I think it's just cause I have, I think I have like a gen two or a gen three revolution. So the, um, the arm doesn't work with it or something when I first got it. 
And I was like, oh, okay, I'll get to that. And then I just never have. It, it would save me so much time if I would just set it up. But I keep forgetting. I want this guy's shop. He's got, what, four freaking uh, house-made grinders? Does he really? Holy. Yeah, I think he's a metal fabricator. That's why he went with his name. Yeah, but four grinders? I want one. Oh, I oh have this one. is so cool. So, so you know how I was just talking about a knife restoration that I was doing? Uh, one of them is one of those like old hickory uh, like butcher-style knives. Uh, scroll down here. He actually did one not too long ago, the same style of knife. Oh, That's nice. cool. Oh, like a Serbian cleaver almost. Uh, I don't... Isn't the Serbian it, cleaver the one that has like the big curve in the back of it? Like the... It looks almost like a like Patrick's house in SpongeBob. <laughs> Are you Squidward? No, this is Patrick. <laughs> I've watched way too much SpongeBob in my life. Oh uh, yeah, it looks like he's a pipeline worker. Is he? How Pipe- is he? Is he ever home then? <laughs> I don't know. Those that is fitter- a big smoker. He's got his big ass smoker on the back of a trailer. That looks sweet. Cooking some crabs, doing some pew-pews with a suppressor. Love me some pew-pews. Nice. I love me some pew-pews. My wife just bought me a pew-pew for Christmas. 22? Nine? 5.56. Five, five, five. Oh, ooh, that's nice. 5.56. Five, Side charging, not a rear charge. I currently am building, building my second. That's fun. Nice. Yeah. I love them. I've built a few. I I like building yeah. the bolt actions a little more, but you know, I built a few, uh, and then I lost them all in that accident. You a felon? Yeah. And, no boating accident. Same same yeah. way I lost all mine. It was like they're down at the bottom of the lake, never to need, be found again. I need to well, get the a biggest, boat then. The biggest problem for me is that so up like probably. 10, 20 miles north of me is one of the deepest lakes in the entire United States, Lake Chelan. And yeah, I was, we were going hunting up uh, near a buddy's cabin, which is up on the other side of the lake. And so we had to take a boat up there and I had all, all of them with me, which was stupid of me, but yeah, they're all down at the deepest part of the lake. You can't even dive down there. It's so deep. It sucks. Wow. That's cool. Tragic. But everybody go check out Jared Weaver at the Master of Metal Manipulation. Yeah, I could scroll on this guy's page for a while. He's got a lot of nice hammers. He's got a lot of cool equipment. He makes a lot of cool stuff, not just knives. Check him out. Cooking crabs. I love me some crab meat. Listening to some high quality uh, podcasts here, it looks like as well. Wow, we've been going an hour and 19 minutes, boys. It's a trend. I think uh, when I was on the Work For It podcast, that was their longest podcast they had ever had. Oh, really? Yeah, we were reaching the two hours, I believe, getting there. Wow. Yeah. Well, speak, speaking of Work For It, I heard on their um, Patreon, what do you call it, after show. After- Yeah, I heard on the Patreon after show that Brian House caught wind of my hair comment and said that he always assumed Noah would be the funny one and not me, which is fine. Noah is a hilarious guy. 
what Brian I doesn't. I, I don't know if I take offense at that though. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I wouldn't. It was a compliment. Okay. All right. We'll take it For as a sure. compliment. Uh, what Brian doesn't know is that I have four brothers and all we do is fucking roast each other. And I'm the one that they don't fuck with when it comes to roasting because I'm so good at it. And that's not even me being arrogant. It's a fact. I when when it comes to roasting, I am exceptional. And the problem is, is I don't have a limit usually. So once it keeps getting escalated and escalated, I'll just go for the throat and it and it's, and you know, it's not good. But luckily in this situation, we're just joshing around, uh, you know, we're just messing with each other. I, I respect Brian House probably almost maybe the most in the community. Um, you know, I've been on board with him since before the Gen 1 revolution came out. I bought the Gen 1 plans, you know. Uh, wow. He's an awesome dude. But uh, his hair is an easy target, though. You hear that, Brian? That that was a challenge, I believe. A very respectful challenge. No. No. I, I mean, however he wants to take it, but he just got to understand that, you know, there's levels to this game, and <laughs> I'm pretty good. <laughs> but I'm not, in all I'm seriousness, not don't mess with me, but... In all seriousness, though, I fucking love Brian House and the work for it, guys. If Ben Butler would return his goddamn messages, we'd be getting him on the show again, and I could send him a sticker pack. Guy messages me, we talk for like 45 minutes, and then he just ghosts me. And I'm like, what's your address? When you coming on the show? No response. I'm like, come on, bro. Send me your address. We'll book you on the show. We'll get you in. Let's do this. I love Ben Butler. I think he's fucking hilarious. The one, the one-liners he spits off are just gold. It's awesome. I love you know, it. all all those work for it guys. Those those guys are all all fantastic. And I've been a Brian fanboy for quite a while. Brian spelled correctly. Um, and uh, you know, ever since I I I actually I followed Brian and bought his grinder. I think I bought the grinder plans the first time, and. I was in the process of building my grinder before I even knew that he had a podcast and I had watched his videos and everything else. And for some reason, I just never knew he had a podcast. And so then I started listening to the podcast because I had bought his grinder plans. Um, so yeah, we all have, we all love Brian. I mean, you can't not like him. It's, it's impossible. Pretty sure. Right. Yeah. He treats Unless us all well equally, even though he's one of the big dogs. Except for some of his trolls, his trolls are hilarious. Though, weren't was, they weren't they shouting out trolls on the podcast for a little while there? They they were, and and then suddenly he wasn't getting as many trolls, which is a shame because it was gold content. Like the the ones that were using the uh, uh, oh, you know what? I don't care. I can say whatever I want. This is my podcast. There there was uh, some some Nazi comments that were thrown out that was pretty freaking bad like about his forge doors yeah it's like you people are insane but i mean again it made for hilarious content so you know jokes on them but yeah i mean there's some there's some serious trolls out there see i don't think he's posted any like controversial 
content recently. Like when he put the when he took the saw blades and quartered them and put them in his gussets on his table or his cart or whatever, and people were losing their minds, like as if he oh was gonna gosh. fall and like, oh, you're gonna arm arms gonna get chopped off or something, you know? He hasn't done something like that in a while. Those are the people that warning labels are made for, right? Hundred percent. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> retarded. I, I, I actually. I actually have a, I have some plans in my head of like trying to create like some ridiculous content just to see if I can get some trolls. Like I've got some trolls in the past, but not in a while. And I need some good trolls to help uh, amplify my content. So I've got this one thing that I'm going to do that I, I, I don't want to say it out loud because I don't want to ruin the surprise, but it's going to be ridiculous when I finally get around to doing it. it. It involves a large cannonball. Let's just say that, that I found in my shop when I moved in. That's cool. Uh, yeah, it's freaking awesome. I, I, I've never held a freaking cannonball in my hands before, so I'm going to do some fun stuff with that just to try and see if I can get some trolls to come out. But the the biggest trolls in like the blacksmithing, bladesmithing, whatever you want to say, are the ones that, that hold anvils on a sacred pedestal that cannot be touched. They're, they are the end-all, oh, be-all no. of being... And I, I saw this video it was hilarious the other day where this person literally chopped up an anvil and used the center of the anvil to make like a Thor's hammer. And it starts with them cutting the horn off the anvil. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to watch this. So I watched it and it was it was a fine video, you know, like it was pretty well done. But they they turned an anvil into a Thor's hammer and it was an antique anvil. So my first thought is I'm going straight to the comment section. I cannot wait. This is going to be glorious. The first comment was actually uh, from Mike Jones. The first oh, no. Comment was from Mike Jones trolling all of the people in the, in the comments. And I went through and I read all of them. I mean, there were people that were like, cursing him to the grave you know like all these people that were so upset about this anvil that wasn't even theirs and uh so i replied to to mike's comment saying yeah i just came here to drink the tears of those people and and that's when i i, I got a really rude rude reply from one of those uh one of those individuals but it was worth it i loved it so Mike's a savage, man. I've seen some of the comments he's left on posts online, and I'm like, damn, dude. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a good one. He's he's quick, too. That's what you got when you're like trolling or responding to trolls or like in like a uh, roast battle type deal. You got to be quick. You got to be quick on the draw with your head, you know, mm -hmm. with your brain. And Mike's a quick, he's quick witted, dude. And that's, that three seconds that you hesitate if you can't come up with something that fast it will make the difference whether or not you get fucking destroyed or not, you know, for just, sure. So yeah, it is what any, it is. If there's any listeners out there that hold anvils, particularly antique anvils on the high pedestal that you have in your brain, I apologize. I'm with you. I just thought it was funny. Don't send me hate mail. He's how was the prop? He's going to drop his cannonball on his anvil like it's a ball bearing. People are they probably lose it. How was the face on the anvil? Was it a usable anvil? Uh, It looked like it was a fine. I mean, all the edges were rounded off. It probably had a little bit of a dished face. Like it probably still could have been used, but that's not what matters. What matters is that 
the dude had an item that belonged to him and he did what he wanted to with it. Yeah. And all the haters, all the hundreds of comments that were on there just helped to promote the video. Right. hundred percent. That's, that's the best part about trolls is your stuff will just explode. If it, it gets that much traction from haters, like just yep. gone. It's all people. It, it's people like that is the reason why I won't do restorations for people. Oh yeah. I can see that. Because they feel like you post it and they're like, oh, you destroyed the value of the knife or which in reality is true. If you're if you do a restoration and you're not a master at it, chances are you you probably reduce the value. But whoever owns it isn't having you do it for that reason. They probably want to use it. Um, for sure. I respect I, that. I, you got a you got an old piece and maybe it's been passed down in your family and your great grandpa and your grandpa use it their entire lives and it's getting rusty, beat up, whatever, and you just want it cleaned off so you can continue to use it. I don't I don't see the problem there. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a tool yeah. you're using it for what it's made for. It's yep. it's people who binge watch Antiques Roadshow and you know, <laughs> they're like, You you destroyed the value of that knife or axe or whatever. I made that Viking axe a few weeks back and uh, that was an antique hand forged axe and I fucking ground the shit right out of it, made it into a Viking axe. Yeah, sitting in sitting over there. People offered to buy it off me. I'm like, I have no idea what I what I should charge for it. I'm going to keep it. That's cool. Yeah, so, the the trolls and haters are the reasons why I, I actually had a YouTube channel back in the day and because I being uh what did I neuro, being a neurodivergent I I run through uh hobbies or I historically have run through hobbies so uh for a while there I was really really big into cigars and so I had a full on YouTube channel like reviewing cigars and like doing fun videos with that and finally just got burnt out on it and switched to beer brewing and then knife making wait there was one in there but I just skipped anyways uh if anybody wants to buy any beer brewing equipment let me know uh <laughs> but uh the haters the trolls i mean i would just get hate for like all the stupid little things and it's like ah, i can't do this anymore so i just i literally haven't signed into my youtube account just because i just i don't care i'm done did you read the comments on that reel i posted that joe rogan shared oh yes those were those were pretty good <laughs> they were bad? so good Oh, my them. God. I've never been called a fat gay loser so many times in my life. <laughs> oh <laughs> as, my I did in, as I did in one day from him sharing that. That's terrible. Oh, dude, it was so good. And then like the hardcore ones would find me and then go to my post and comment on my post. That's on dedicated my per- trolling right on there. my personal page. And those are the ones that I responded to and was like, what's up? Like <laughs> one guy said something about it being gay that I had a man's tattoo on my leg or that I was shaving my leg to test sharp. I don't know what, I don't know what he was getting at, but I asked him if he wanted to come over and rub lotion on it. Like, yeah, I don't care. You're not going to hurt my feelings, bro. (laughs) Someone said, someone said enormous L. (laughs) I had to look up what that meant. Cause like a bunch of people said that what an L, what an L I'm like, what the fuck is an L? It means I'm like a lost. Yeah, yeah, I'm a loser. Freaking Zoomers and their new terminology. I'm a loser, but guess what? We're old Rogan. now. We don't understand the, the new lingo. Joe Rogan shared my reel, not yours. So who's yeah. the fucking loser now, bitch? Yeah, that's badass. 
Boom, boss move. Boom, mic drop. Uh, have you guys had anyone want a knife to dis- to display? Yeah. Like I like like I make Damascus like any I shouldn't say any if I make a Damascus knife, someone's like, well, I want it, but I just want to like hang it on the wall, and I'm like, what? Like I get it, you think it's pretty, but dude, I want you to use it. I've made one shelf queen. I mean, I get it, but at the same time, I'm like, eh, well, I'm trying to talk this uh, one of the business agents into buying. I want to make this like a uh, uh, like a Damascus fighter with a fossilized walrus tusk handle with like Damascus guard and pommel and everything. Like he wants to he wants it for his uh, bourbon cabinet and he wants to display it. I'm like, well, that'd be pretty sweet. I mean, I don't know what else you're going to do with it, but that's the only purpose for a fighter for a fight a fighting knife. Nobody's actually getting in knife fights unless you live in Europe. Like Jason Knight said, fighter fighters are for fighting poverty. That is it. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's what it was. I was trying to think of his quote. <laughs> Making fighters are for fighting your own poverty. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've never had anybody tell me that they wanted a display knife and like if you think my knives look good enough to display that's that's great i make them to use like i i have developed everything about the way that i make my knives to make them more user friendly not less you the know, one like, i did that was a display was cuz the handle was a walking stick he used on the appalachian trail okay so, well that's like, understandable it was like a like a memoriam type knife to go on his mantle yeah but other okay. than that I mean, you can't charge any less unless you're not hardening them. You know what I mean? Like you can't, it's still, you're still making them a fucking knife. It's, you can't charge less for it. So, well, it's not like you're not going to harden it because after that person dies or let's say they sell it or whatever, somebody else is going to end up with a knife and they're going to use it. You're not going to not harden it. You're not going to not make it to the same specifications that you normally would a usable knife. You're making the same thing. You're just making it prettier. I wonder I mean, how many I... knives like that end up in yard sales. Uh, don't say that. Sickening. Like after a guy dies and his family has no, like I've told my wife before, if I die, you need to have somebody else come in the shop and survey what I've got, what I've gotten here because you have no idea. <laughs> and she's, oh, she dude. agrees. You know what I mean? She agrees. Yeah. But if something ever happened to one of us, like how our wives aren't going to know that our grinders worth a couple grand or, oh, you know, the, mine this... will. <laughs> <laughs> she has a credit card bill. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, my, my knives are completely or my knife business is completely self-sufficient. You know, I don't, I don't make a whole lot of money, but everything just goes right back into it. So Mm -hmm. she, she's, she's very aware that my, my drawer of handle scales is a thousand dollars or so. See that I, or, or my, my, my (laughs) each, each drawer is worth that. Probably I should say not, not just the one drawer. That's (laughs) why I got into doing my own stabilizing because it fucking hurt every time I bought handle material. Like, yeah, I know buying the shit to stabilize and cactus juice is expensive, but a couple gallons of cactus juice goes a lot farther when you're stabilizing than it does when you're buying six blocks at a time, yeah, you know? I can see that. See, I have about five stumps or logs, like, you know, 
18 by 24, like these big old chunks of spalted, uh, spalted maple. I'm like, I, I don't know what to do. Like, I got I have to pay someone to stabilize them. Should I just get this stuff to stabilize myself or what? Well, if you have if you have the room and the dedication to do it, then yes. But if not, send it off to KNG. The 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 want and to, like the drive to do it is not there. I'm not interested in learning. I'm not interested in wasting money trying to figure out how to do this. That's the only problem. Well, there you go. Just fill fill up a flat rate box with with blocks of it and just send it off to KNG. You're gonna you're gonna get the highest quality stabilization you could possibly get and they'll dye it colors and all kinds of other stuff. So it's true. Their process is like, like my process works. It it's stabilized their process. Like I'm doing a pressure cycle at 40 PSI. They're doing pressure cycles at 3000 PSI just because they have the equipment to do it. You know what I mean? So they're if you're willing to pay the money, I think it's like ten dollars a pound or something like that. I can't remember, but if That's they're it? the best, I don't quote me because I I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure well, what, what it was like ten bucks a pound. I thought about they have all their they have all their prices and everything listed on and and the process for sending it in and everything listed on their website. But yeah, definitely check that out. And then actually last. Uh, last week, Sharky was talking about the fact that their turnaround time right now is actually really fast. So they used to be two, three months, and he said he's getting turnaround in, in a month or so. So if you've got it right now, now would be the time to send it in. Well, one of one of the guys that I buy uh, a lot of my handle material from is local. And I thought about just sending him these the, the chunks or like, well, not sending them, obviously, because they're huge. But like next time I go out his direction, just load them up and be like, here, dude, just take sell what you want scratch my back and you can free free wood it i mean kind of i still want some kickback from it but that, that was yeah, kind of my I mean, idea if you've, if, if you've got that connection then that's that's a definitely a solid way to go as well he's got a the, he's got a nice setup yeah. yeah the cool thing about stabilizing is it's not like a labor intensive process you know what i mean you're not like standing over your pot watching it stabilize like you it's a set you, it. that's exactly what i would be doing <laughs> <laughs> it's a set it and forget it type deal um like when mine's in the pressure cycle i just make sure that it maintains pressure and if like it drops a little bit overnight i'll just add a little more air in and then go about my day you know so how's how big's the danger on that pressure pot like what like what's the danger in it like exploding or i don't, I don't on know mine i don't know not very much yeah, I mean, mine's rated for 60 PSI and I only turn it up to 40. Um, on K and G's at 3000 PSI, 3000 PSI would blow a hole through your building. Yeah. But mine's just a converted paint sprayer. See, I don't want to get into it and then be sucked in. And because I've talked to a few people that sell handle making or handle material and they used to make knives and then they got into that and they're like, forget knives. And now all they do is make handle material it'll suck you in for sure i just happen to be lucky that i live in an area where there's lots and lots of nice wood you know what i mean and so it made sense for me to get into it um because i hoard handle material anyways and in the long run it's actually cheaper for me to just stabilize shit myself than to buy it you know 40 50 a block at a time because a, blo a block don't go far. What do you get? Two knives out of it and a couple of spacers or bolsters or, you know, 
see, I don't, I don't have the access as far as I know to really nice wood to, to stabilize. And then, I mean, my shop's too small as is. So I'm, then I'm going to want a bandsaw to actually cut wood because the, my bandsaw doesn't, it's made for metal, not wood, you know, probably just like most other knife makers have. So it's like, if I'm going to get into this and I'm going to be knee deep and other supplies that I'm like, these aren't even like knife related. Will it save me money? Yeah. Sure. Is it a time thing? Absolutely. It's not, so, it's not always a good idea. <laughs> I, I mean, I've got a big enough shop, but like you said, with the bandsaw, that's on my list. A nice fucking large bandsaw, 240 a wood, volt. A wood bandsaw, yeah. A wood bandsaw where like my buddy who processes firewood dropped me off almost a whole tree of super curly maple. He's like, yeah, I split the first piece and it looks like this. So I saved you the whole tree. So for me, like it makes sense. Um, but for a lot of guys, it doesn't. This was a conversation I had with myself early on in my knife making career where I, I started to like try and get into stabilizing. And then I quickly realized that this was a whole nother hole. It's kind of like leather making. I had that discussion with myself as well. This is a whole nother craft. This is a whole nother thing that I'm going to have to learn and go through. Do I want to do this or do I just bite the bullet, spend the money when I need to and make sure that I'm putting out the best quality product that I can by buying from people who are selling quality materials and focus on what I need to be focusing on. And See, it's not, it's not that simple either. Like it seems stabilizing seems simple, but I've had so many fucking failures. I, everything I stabilized for like a whole year came out fucked up. And wow. like, so if your wood's not dry enough, you know, it's not going to stabilize all the way or the water in the core is going to push the dye and all this juice out. Um, if, your oven when you're baking the blocks isn't hot enough when you put it in the cactus juice is going to boil out of the block before it hardens you're going to get bleed out and like there's a, there's quite a bit to it and i was invested i invested before i knew how to do it so then i was in it you know what i mean and i'm like fuck i took like six months to a year off of it and then i started asking questions to people who actually knew what they were doing and like, why am, why am I getting this result? What's causing this? And they're like, oh, your blocks aren't dry enough or, oh, your oven needs to be like 20 degrees hotter than it needs to be when you put them in and then you turn it down or, you know, you're not pressure cycling. You're just doing like a atmosphere soak, which is when you don't do a pressure cycle, you just shut your vacuum pump off and let it sit for two weeks. Um, stuff like that. I don't Anyways. have time now. See, I asked myself the same thing about leather, I like doing sheaths. It's like, because there's a there's a guy that lives five minutes from me, and he said that he would make sheaths for me. He's got a price, and I was like, do I just up my prices, you know, a, a little bit? Because it's going to be a little more expensive than what I can do it for. But it's like, do I stop making them, or do I just continue to make them and get slowly get better at it? Yeah. Uh, I don't know what to do. So I'm just I I'm just going to continue to do it. I think knowing your limitations is important and I suck at leather work. I'm so bad at it and I hate being bad at shit. So I just don't do it anymore. I just, I have a huge piece of leather in my shop. That's like really nice, thick stuff. And it just sits there, collects dust, but we're almost at a hour and 45. What do you say? We, uh, put a cap on this thing. I think that's a good idea. I think this has been a good show. 
I think so too. Hopefully I don't feel like I interview the best, but I, I feel like I have better conversation than I do interviewing. This, this wasn't really all... an interview. This was just, yeah. just, a, just some knife makers BSing for an hour and 45. That's okay. Yeah. The only uh, time I mean, we really do interviews is when it's like Jason Knight or somebody that like, I don't know, not to say you're even, not important, but which you are, but I'm you know what Jason I mean? Like Knight. somebody, well, yeah, like, you know, even with Jason Knight, it was less of an interview than it was just us bringing up topics and, and him bringing his unique perspective and talking. It's just all yeah, we do. We just talk. We just it's let great. him talk. Uh, I got a lot of feedback on that episode and people said that he seemed the most comfortable on our show than he had on any other show that he's been on. And I said, Ryan, you and I are comfortable people, I guess. I guess we didn't, we didn't like grill him on stuff. We're not very professional. I'm sitting here chain smoking cigarettes and blunts the whole time. We talked about fucking aliens and shit. He didn't care. Yeah. I think, you know, he's like, yeah, this is fun. We just let him go. We were like, hey, what do you feel about interdimensional space beings? Jeremy, what do you think about interdimensional space beings? I ain't got time for that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. You want to talk aliens? We'll get Elon on. All right. We'll talk to him about aliens. I, I wish. will pay you money if you get Elon on here. How much? A lot. It's not a number. I... Uh, I, ain't I got will no give money. you $40 if you can get Elon. <laughs> Sold. <coughs> I'll do what I can. All right. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> at least give him that. A, I'll, no, at least no, no, add I'd... him. All right. That was a Thanks good one. Guys. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a great week. Sorry, Ryan. Bye.